G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. Washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom! The ghost who walks the Enemies beware The phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom Hello, we are the Chronicle Chamber team and this is Expand the Phantom Podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com Our email is chroniclechamber at gmail.com and you can subscribe and watch us and listen to us via YouTube, iTunes, various Android apps and many, many other platforms as well. Now, this is episode 213. We're going to have some fun tonight. We don't have an an interview. We're not even going to be talking about the latest comics or news. We're just going to talk about some random, unique phantom facts. And, of course, that is a fax with a PH. So my name is Jermaine, and I am joined by Dan. How are you, Dan? Yeah, good, Jim. It's um, yeah, good to be with you tonight. Talk some Phantom, and um, there's there's a, a lot going on in the world, not a lot of it fun. So the yes. the opportunity just to come together and, and talk about some random Phantom Phantom facts is uh, a nice tonic, I think. Yeah. Now I've just realised your last name is Fraser. We probably should change it to PH just to keep the theme <laughs> that we that, are that, going on. I do that. I use that for my Instagram handle, actually. Yeah, <laughs> at Fraser Dan PH. So. <laughs> <laughs> haven't posted on that, I think, in 18 years or so, <laughs> before it even existed. But there you go. <laughs> now, as we all know, uh, the Phantom is quite unique and fun, with a PH, of course. And with so many creators and Lee Fork and, and everything else, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens. Um, and, and, you know, we've all been listening to, um, you know, the new podcast, uh, the new Phantom podcast, and they've come up with some interesting facts as well, which coincided with what we had already been planned. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so what we, what we thought is, uh, basically we wanted to, we wanted to go over some, uh, some cool facts and, uh, we've come up with, I think it's about 10 facts so uh if we don't get too caught up it might not go for too long now first of all before we do go into i do want to give uh the following uh people and places uh a heads up for these are some of the places that we sourced or that we've talked to to come up with some of these um facts as well so besides the two of us of course uh some of the other sources is deepwoods.org which was probably the first and best uh, phantom website for that type of information came before chronicle chamber yeah. and chronicle chamber kind of came out of the uh the hole that was left out of uh deep woods when when yeah. uh, garan or brian uh closed that that place down so i'm, just, great- I'm just so glad that, that that website is still up and if you haven't done haven't ever looked at it deepwoods.org do yourself a favor and just go and do a bit of a deep dive it's a an old school looking website but um lots of really good information i'm so, so glad it's yeah, when when the website came out, every second or third Phantom website, including one that I built, had the same purple background. It yeah, was right. like the official <laughs> that's all purple was. background. <laughs> uh, you know, this was back at the turn of uh, turn of the century, so yeah. like twenty years ago. It was um, yeah. 
the other one, uh, Phantom Wiki, which is of probably course. at the moment the the, the main uh, Phantom resource. Uh, there is another one as well, which uh, we can't give out the 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 name of it or the URL because that's still in development and it's a bit of a hush hush secret project. But um, <laughs> Patreons will learn about that very very soon. And then of course, there's the Chronicle Chamber website as well. There's uh, some information on there that we've um, sourced from here. And then, of course, there's some fans from around the world as well. Uh, in no particular order, uh, Ankit um, from India, Swarut from India as well, um, Ivan Pedersen uh, from Norway, and then Mikkel Leek, who is, um, and most of these people have been had something or continually have something to do with Chronicle Chamber as well. So a huge shout out. So those guys, we'll try and remember to give them a shout out at the end as well. Um, but what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about basically some facts, kind of go from there. Um, I guess the, the premise of this, and, and not to jump in, Jim, but the premise of this is like, hopefully we can teach everybody something uh, that you maybe didn't know about the fandom. If you're a newer fan, then you may not know any of what we're about to say. They're just odd little snippets and of, of re- weird phantomness from, from across time and across the world. I'm sure that lots of our listeners who are dedicated fans will know some of these, but I'm, I'm really hopeful that, you know, anyone listening is going to find out something new about the fandom that they didn't know before. So of the 10 that we're going to talk about tonight, how many of those did you know about? Um, before you told me in, in planning for the website, <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, two or two, now I'm counting and this is the worst <laughs> podcast ever. Um, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say about seven, I suppose, and the yeah. others, none, none of them really surprised me come out of absolute nowhere, but probably seven. So probably seven I sort of knew about. Yeah, yeah. Two or three I put on loose myself, of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first of all, now, this is not a dig at Lee Fork, and we know Lee Fork, he's an amazing creator. He created the Phantom, Mandrake, uh, and many plays and stuff like that. But his one kryptonite or his one weakness was the fact that he didn't focus on um, uh, continuity. Mm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a bit of fun about how Lee Fork kept it in the family. So the first one we're going to talk about is uh, Princess Pura, and I'm going to be bringing Pura. Didn't she marry the Phantom at some stage, Jim? She did, but which Phantom? (laughs) I want to know. So, so basically, I want to show. So, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see some of these uh, panels that I am uh, sharing. So, Princess Pura, uh, in various stories, the one that I'm showing up now is of her uh, basically marrying the third phantom. So this is the in Alexander's Diamond Cup, the story Alexander's Diamond yes. Cup. And so this is the continuation of this one here. And then in previous stories, um, uh, this one here, what, so the first panel at the top, I'm just trying to remember what the story is. Captain Amazon, this one. Captain Amazon, which is a Sunday story. Uh, this was the fourth phantom marrying the Maharaja's daughter. So this is the fourth phantom marrying his mum. So um well she's held her age well is what I would say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um 
And then the other one is, uh, this is the Airs story. So uh, these, these couple of stories here are brilliant because they talk about a lot of Phantom's wife. Uh, if you ever want to go back and have a look at him. This is the 11th Phantom marrying Amara Harajara's daughter without Papa's blessing. Now, you commented about... Is her name uh, pure as well? Uh, it's, it's the same image. Um, and it's the same, same scenario. So, yeah. so, yeah. So, look, now we, we have all had a bit of fun and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so that's the first one. Now, this is uh, Princess Pura marrying three different phantoms. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, surely that's just a once-off. But no, the first and second phantom also married the same woman. So now these stories is the heirs and then also, um, I can't remember what the other one is. Um, so I'll just show these up again. If you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see them. There we go. So this one is the heirs. So this is the first phantom married one of the great admiral's granddaughters. Now we know that there is a, a, a nice um, uh, family connection with Christopher Columbus. Mm. So this is the first phantom marrying a granddaughter of Christopher Columbus. And then in the other story, it is the second phantom marrying Marabella granddaughter of Columbus and it's the same image um, so yeah so there, there's there's another one where basically the phantom has decided to marry his mum yeah well the um, I, I can't quickly tell you the stats on that one but the um, princess Pura who, who as you showed us married the third the fourth and the 11th phantom um, those stories were written in 1970 1979 and 1989 respectively. So about 10 years apart, and, yeah, it's pretty clear that Lee Falk didn't keep a detailed um, family tree next to him, uh, next to his writing desk when he was, uh, when he was writing. No. So there's definitely um, – and I remember in uh, – what was it? It was – I think it was the Phantom Goes to War issue there. In the centre page, I think it was, there was two Phantom fans and I believe one of them was actually Peter Stephen, who a lot of fans will probably be aware of, who had a go at creating the Phantom family tree of the of the dates, who they married, and when they died. And, and when you look at those two side by side, there was a lot that did not match up. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, well, it's small wonder if um, if Lee Fork wasn't keeping track of it and then just. Wrote him in. Oh, he must have. Oh, I, I do remember. She, there's, there's a, a Maharaj's daughter, wasn't there? Right, throw her in again. Yes. So that's our first random fact uh, that we wanted to discuss. So uh, hopefully you found that interesting. Dan, do you want to have a go at our second one? Yeah, well, um, the, everyone is super aware of the Phantom's costume, of course, and, and we know that uh, the skin tight costume and the cowl and the mask and all the rest of it is, um, you know, the the origin of the superhero trope. Um, we've heard so much about that on the um, Phantom Never Dies podcast you talked about before, Jim, about how that set the tone for, for comics going forward. Um, and so you just automatically just see that uh, skin-tight outfit on the Phantom when you do uh, um, picture, um, picture our hero. But uh, one of the very first comic books ever to um, collate the, the newspaper strips into a book actually featured the Phantom 
um, almost nude, just with the trunks and the cowl, no skin tight costume at all. Trunks, cowl, and uh, and gloves, gloves only, not even boots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so for those who don't know, this is like like you said, one of the first ever uh, Phantom comics. In fact, there's only two known Phantom comics that exist before this. So this is the the one from 1937, about March or April of 1937. Um, Corriero Universal O Fantasma. Uh, from Brazil. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a very interesting take on the, um, a very interesting interpretation of what they must have thought they saw in the comic book. Uh, Phantom well, Nilly Nude basically wearing skin <laughs> swimmers yeah. and, a, and a swim cap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I, for me, I love the cow. But like, we managed to keep the cow and the mask. Yes. But yes. It, it almost looks like a uh, like a shopping bag put over his head or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or or a, um, you know those swimming caps that they've kind of they've the old school of... ones where they tie you on tie under the chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then and then the baggy gloves says just to to, to round out the outfit. <laughs> yeah, um, and then so we thought. We pulled up another comic from the same same era, which was released a month later. Uh, can I actually get it? Um, the Italian one? Yeah, it's not letting me. There it is. There it is. So, again, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to pick this up. Lumo Mascarado. Most, for a long time, this was what everybody thought was the first Phantom comic. Yes. Now, if you're looking at... if you. I, to be fair, and not to you know, and jokes aside, I can see where the Brazilian um, publishers and editors and artists got it from, because you've got to remember this was the first costume superhero. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, you're seeing things like the eyes shown. Um, you know, the gloves were on for a couple of weeks and then they were off. But it's just you know, it's kind of funny. And then you see very similar scenes as well. You've got the you got Phantom and Diana kissing down here at the bottom. You got the the leap of faith um, uh, to the to the left as you look at the cover. And yeah. then if you go back to the Brazilian one, you've got again, you've got the kiss there. You've got the leap of faith and stuff like that. Yeah. So now, now there's no chance in in you know there's no chance that either publisher would have been able to pick up the phone and say so. Are we doing, what, yeah. you know, how, how are we colouring this? Or is it actually, a, like, what's the go? Like, you know, yeah. that wouldn't happen back in 1936. Oh, and they're, and they're taking their cue from the first two or three weeks of the of the strip when Lee Fork and Ray Moore were still working it out themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's a really good point you make there about it was the first skin-tight costume superhero, so they just wouldn't have expected that. Mm. Um, yeah, so and, that... Yeah, it's, it's just, it's... Um, I, I love I love the cover. I love the old school about it. You know, like the redrawn panels and and stuff like that. What I find interesting, besides the lack of clothing on the Phantom, but is the similar poses that was used yeah. throughout. It's um, they must have really struck yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, what I like about this one as well is that Fats Horton's on the front cover. Probably expecting mm. him to be a integral key to the story. <laughs> But after the first, you know, month, we never see him again. Yeah, yeah. Um, surely there has to be a story where we see a little bit of a prequel about this. Oh, the, the isn't the back catalogue of Phantom stories just so rich with opportunities to yeah. um, 
to, to fill some gaps. So yeah, that was a that was a really cool one. I really enjoy that one. Having a look at basically, um, uh, you know how people depicted the costume and stuff like that, and mm. you know depicted him as a you know basically a, a guy running around in in swimming shorts and a, a swimming cap. Mm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> now I'm going to let you go the next one as well, Dan, because I know this is quite close to you. Um, and you've got to do some explaining as well. I'll do some explaining or you will. No, oh, okay. <laughs> I said the question's going in. Um, no, it is quite close to me geographically and, and um, um, I don't know, just a part of my youth. And that's the, the Fandom Club of Australia, um, the John Henderson's fan, um, Fandom Fan Club, which uh, I became a member of when I was about 11 um, I know it folded a bit before you were sort of aware. The rest of, of us weren't even born then, so yeah. <laughs> well, well, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that makes me feel old, but I'll, I'll take it on this occasion because it meant that I was, um, I've got my um, membership cards to Hendo's Phantom Fan Club. I'm just seeing a pair of my shoulder there. Um, my, so the, the official Phantom Club, no, it wasn't the official, the unofficial Phantom Fan Club of... Um, in it of Australia, um, and I just love the fact that it was um, I, what became to me a huge, um, or what I thought was just a huge business operation, uh, all run out of the bottom of uh, someone house, someone's house, an old Queenslander in Cooparoo, um, a suburb of Brisbane. Um, for for Australians, Cooper is only about two good footy kicks away from the Gabba, um, and and actually, as we speak, it's probably underwater. The the, the Queenslander that used to host the Phantom Club has probably got its basement flooded out at the moment because um, there's a lot of water flying through Brisbane. But the point being, I guess, that um, I was just blown away and I might um, share just to, by way of showing people um, and, and talk, you, talk you through it, um, just, the, the, just the volume of stuff that came out of um, the, the Phantom Fan Club. Um, I'm, I'm looking in our P3, the Phantom Preservation Project at the moment, and just... Showing, just wanting to show people a few things that um, the the club produced there in terms of newsletters. Um, over forty uh, newsletters they produced. Oh, I'm in the wrong club. What am I doing? I wonder. There's nothing here. Fan clubs, um, independent fandom club is what it's called, of course. Well, that's um, that's <laughs> it just goes to show that there's a lot there, even when um. The people that uh, curate it get lost. <laughs> That's exactly right. So no, this is this is going to be much more um, much more prolific. So if we go into what's membership of the Inner Fandom Fandom Club, uh, that's an example of a, a certificate of membership. Um, I should probably scan mine in there too, and not just uh, shame Trevor Clark by showing his um, um, Fandom Fan Club. The product catalogues were were just amazing in terms of the merch that they produce, and this is I think for for a lot of collectors now. Um, you know, what they seek in terms of the Phantom Fan Club, um, the the rings that they produce, the badges, the shirts, um, mugs, monkey monkeys of Melbourne, products all sold through the Fan Club as well. Um, the newsletters, which I mentioned before um, when I was talking about the wrong club, but the Jungle Beat, there's 41 produced. And, um, you know, these are 8, 10, 12 pages at a time. It went for years. And um, and a bunch of ads for it as well off the back of comics and that sort of thing. So um, and so much of what we has become iconic about the fan, I think, like the Wilson McCoy as you were gentleman pose, 
Um, these were some of the shirts, uh, some of the images that were chosen for early merch. Um, the, the rings, the, the designs, they really solidified a lot of these designs, a lot of these images in, in people's minds, I think, in Australia. Or, or maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just the old farts talking. <laughs> so for those who don't know, when you say underneath an old Queenslander, explain what a Queenslander is, because I know everyone in Queensland will probably understand what it is, but uh, we are an international podcast. Uh, a Queenslander is a, a wooden house built up on, oh, well, don't know. In this instance, it's up on stilts. Uh, it's a wooden house with verandas and balconies the whole way around and uh, lots of breezeway because you're trying to get as much air through as possible. But uh, it's just the style that um, style of houses that um, in colonial times were built up here and um, the, the really expensive suburbs now have got these Queenslanders that have all been done up. So um, the space underneath is mostly usually used to park the lawnmower or the, 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 the valiant ute or whatever the car was of their house. But uh, in this instance, in the 80s, Hendo set it up as a, um, as a fandom club. And um, I wish I'd had the chance to visit. We, yeah. we have done a podcast with these guys, we should yes. mention. Yes. And what episode was that? Uh, you looked it up before. 81, was it? <laughs> yes. I'm not looking at the run sheet now. <laughs> yeah, it's 81. So that was back in uh, 2017. So um, even if you weren't a part of the fan club and you're a young fella like I am, um, it is still worth going back and um, and listening to it because the, the amount of history and stuff like that, you, you understand why why the Phantom was so big in the 80s and the 90s, and it was pretty much off the base of that. And the, and it was so popular that there was a, another Phantom Club that tried to come up and try to rival it and try to pay money for it, and it was run out of, basically, out of some guy's back garage. Mm. They had, what, two, three employees, actually employed people running the club. That's how mm. popular it was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, very cool. And, and I know that um, the, the Scandinavian Phantom Club um, has also got um, thousands and thousands of members. And, um, but that was, correct me if I'm wrong, more affiliated with the comic, whereas this one was yes. just some guy who decided he wanted to do it. Yes, that is yeah. correct. So that's rather cool. So uh, everyone has probably at least learnt what a Queenslander is <laughs> um, if they didn't know about that about the club as well. So now what we're going to talk about is name changes. Uh, now there's a couple in here. Um, and the, the thing that I like about this is that we're actually going all around. So we're, we're going to cover uh, Australia. We're going to cover two countries in Europe. And then we're also going to touch in Asia as well. So this is, this is, this is something that's rather, that, that is interesting that I'm sure a lot of fans probably won't know about them all. Um, I, even some of them I didn't know about as well. So first of all, we're going to go, we're going to fly from, we're in Australia, and now we're going to fly over to India. And for those in COVID-stricken times, for some of us, this is the only way we get to uh, go to other countries. Um, so we're in India, um, and Devil is called Bagha, or Baha, which doesn't actually mean Devil in the local language. This is in the uh, Bengali language. Uh, Hero is called Tufan, T-U-F-A-N, uh, or Tufan, 
and all the Indians are laughing at my bad pronunciations at the moment. And basically, that means storm. Now, the one that's actually the more interesting one is that we know Bengala, whether you pronounce it pre or post uh, colonial days in the fancy comic of either Bengala or Bengali, it's very close to the actual location of uh, the Bengal area in India. So you've got mm. the Bay of Bengal, you've got the Bengali language. Um, and so what, what the folks at Indra Jail did, which was uh, created, which was the comic from the Times of India, which was a newspaper, they actually changed the language. Well, not sorry, didn't change the language. They changed the country from uh, Bengal or Bengala to Denkali, which is D-E-N-K-A-L-I. So that one's rather interesting that they've actually totally changed the whole Phantom's uh, country because it sounded too close to an Indian, an actual Indian location. Now, I must admit, I find this confusing because if anything, I would have thought they would have they would have been highlighting the fact that hey, this is an Indian comic because he's in Bengali, which is a, a, a nation of India. So I'm not sure if there was like a, a state versus state rivalry. That, that's between. what I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking if, if Fru had, a, and, and I know they did dabble early in the piece with Diana Palmer coming into Sydney Harbour and that sort of thing. But if well, they that had, was the Woman's Weekly, not, not was, Yeah, was, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but if, if the fandom had been a, a Sydney-centric comic, I don't know that it would have done as well in Queensland as it has. So maybe there is a lot of state versus state rivalry in, in India as well. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure they have, uh, in, you know, they're pretty mad for their sport as well, especially, um, you know, like soccer, hockey and cricket. So I'm sure there's a, a lot of state versus state um, rivalry. So I reckon that might be the reason why the Times of India changed uh, mm. the name of the location. Um, but what's actually interesting is it, only happened with uh, in the Indrajal comics. So since the Indrajal, we've had uh, Egmont, Euro, and also Diamond comics. Now uh, we can confirm that it's that the 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 nation was changed. Sorry, the the name of the country was changed back in the Euro and Egmont, and also Regal. Now changed back to Bengali. Bang, back to Bengali, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, about the Diamond comics. And I have asked Ankit and Swarup about this as well, and they're not 100% sure as well. Um, so, it's, so it's interesting that it only happened for that one publication. Apart from that, newspapers, comics afterwards, it was always uh, Bangala. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, so it's something pretty cool, something really interesting. Now, did you want to go over Sweden? Because I know you're a big Sweden lover. Oh, I'll do my best to represent Mikel's um, uh, input here because uh, you mentioned at the start about people who have contributed, and obviously Mikel Lick, um, our, our Swedish correspondent, um, has, uh, has been in touch, as you said, and he's contributed something. This has got to be his song. I'll do my best to do it justice. Um, there was a Swedish newspaper that, uh, that published Fantaman under the name of Dragos, um, am I re I'm, I'm understanding that right? That that uh, the the Phantom comic, the the Phantom in Australia, Phantomman in uh, Sweden, went by the name Dragos. 
Um, so Mikkel's going to go through and uh, do an article for us later and it'll appear on chroniclechamber.com and um, you'll be able to read all about it there. But according to, to Mikkel's early notes to us, um, they, wanted, they wanted to publish Mandrake under the name of Mandragos um, as the translation from Mandrake to the Swedish of Mandragos. But somehow they got the they sent in the wrong strips or something. Uh, this I'm I'm going to be fascinated to read this this proper story. Um, they've sent in the wrong strips. They've sent in the Phantom, but called it Mandragos, like a clerical ever perhaps. And so someone had to do a really quick title change so that it was Dragos. Um, that's just bizarre. Like it is, isn't it? It's such a cool story. And so, what's, in, what's interesting is that Dragos stayed as the name of the Phantom for just, and I'll, just this newspaper for like decades. It wasn't so it was like one, a, one particular newspaper. Just one particular newspaper. And that for decades, did you for say? For decades, yeah. It's <laughs> such a cool story. And this is the thing that I love about that I love about doing this podcast is that you you're coming up with just random weird weird facts that. It's just like, you know, like, like you can just picture it, some guy going, oh, I love the character Dragos. The what? You know, so, that purple, you know, that blue dude who's got the dog. You mean the Phantom? Phantom Man. No, no, no. Dragos. Dragos. Oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought that Dragos was the name of the strip, but the Phantom was still the character somehow. No, no, no. I mean, so Dragos is the name of the Phantom. Goodness me. So, so, and and Mikel does note here that there he's and he's trying to find out more information about this. But he heard that that um, it may also have been a story that to to fool the Germans when they were reading the newspaper during World War One, uh, thinking that Dragos may have been a more uh, Swedish name and not picking up that it was an American comic. So, um, yeah, so so yeah, fascinating again that um, the the impact and the way that the Phantom. Um, or Dragos in this occasion um, became became a hit in uh, in Sweden and how it was used. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I, I, I love the story. It's a it's a great story. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so and I'm I'm looking forward to um, Mikkel's article on this um, and, and and his research into it. Now the next yeah. one, yeah, you got to tell us this one because I know this is a per, per, personal favorite of yours. This is a personal favorite of mine. I love this story, and I love messing with people about this story. Um, just because, like you know, and, and I've done it with you on the podcast before as well. I'm not sure if you remember it, but oh yeah, <laughs> but so in Norway, and this has happened from the um, the early '40s all the way to current. So every time Norway produces a new story, this is still the case. Diana is Sala, and Sala is Diana. So just I'll just let that sink in for a bit. Diana is Sala, and Sala is Diana. So in Norway, the Phantom is married to Sala, who is still Diana, but their names have changed. Is the character is the character that we know, the but the character is the same, yes. So it's Sala, Sala Walker. Now, and when the character that is Sala appears, they call her Diana. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You got your head around that? Well that's just weird. Why do they do that? <laughs> okay. So now this is an article now if you're on YouTube, um basically this is where we got this information from. 
Um, this was from, this, you can still find this. This is on the Deep Woods website. Um, uh, so this was uh, translated and adapted by Ivan Peterson. Um, who uh, Most people know who Ivan is. He's the guy who does a lot of colouring of the classic strips for, um, uh, for Fru. He's also in the editorial team uh, for Comics Review, but also the Norwegian Phantom Net comic as well. So, and also um, is a is probably your best um, Scandinavian provider of through comics too. Would I yes. be right through yeah, IP yes. Comics? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're listening to us and you're in one of those Scandinavian countries, and you're uh, well, probably even European countries, mm. and you're after some free comics, uh, talk to him because he will be probably your best chance of doing it. And he doesn't do it for the money. It's all basically for the love of the character. Yep. Okay. So, look, we will put this link up in our show notes. So, basically, what's going to ha- what happened was um, in the Norwegian newspaper called the Afton Posten, which if you go onto Chronicle Chamber, there is an article about Afton Posten when they stopped publishing The Phantom. So basically when they were um, uh, invaded by Norway in World War II, uh, so this is another World War II phantom story in Norway and Sweden and areas like that, the the story that the last printed page was the return of the Cyban, which was the one of the first couple of Sunday strips. Now the leader of the Cyban was Sala, which we all know. She had been very intimate with the Phantom. So basically they were kissing and the Phantom was playing her and then the fan I'm not sure if you remember the story, but Basically, she captured the Phantom and then she helped rescue the Phantom and then the Phantom let her go and stuff like that. So, you know, so some of the editors were believing that the Phantom and Sala were having a romantic, um, were romantic. I won't say they were having an affair because neither of them were married. So now what's actually interesting is one of the reasons why this actually happened was because Diana had actually never been seen in any of the newspaper stories at that stage because it was only Sunday pages that had been published. And Diana had actually had actually not appeared in any Sunday stories when this story had, um, uh, had been published. So if you're reading The Phantom in Norway, you don't even know Diana exists, right? And then mm-hmm. you're seeing The Phantom and Sala kissing you're naturally assuming and so the editors thought that they're romantically involved and then after the war the afton poston started publishing the daily strip now the first story was the game of elva which is a uh from the earlier piece i think it's about 11 or 12 or daily story from the top of my head and diana and the phantom talk about marriage now, obviously, back in those days, this was too much for them because the Phantom had just been involved with Sala. And, you know, the Phantom being a bit of a Casanova was probably not a very good look. So what they did, and because Diana and Sala were drawn fairly similarly, they had black hair and they were both attractive, their names were changed. But what's actually interesting, like Dragos, 
is the names stayed. The names changed. Well, the names mm. were swapped, continued on for years and years, even to this day. So, so 1940s, that's what, uh, 80 years later, Sala is still Diana, and Diana is still Sala. Bizarre. It's just bizarre. <laughs> I don't know how the Norwegians managed to read their comics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I, I remember reading that first and just like, just going, and then getting a Norwegian comic and then like, like believing what they wrote, but actually having to get out a Norwegian comic and try and hunt it down myself and go, oh my goodness, it is, that is actually true. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so look, there's a couple of examples of name changes. Now there's some fun ones, some fun trivia ones, and then there's some translation type of areas, um, uh, changes like when we touched with in, uh, India as well. So what, uh, we're going to go up to the next one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I might, um, I might start this one off if, if, if it's all right, because um, one of my favourite villains um, in The Phantom, and I think a lot of people's go-to are the Phantom villain, the, the main nemesis of The Phantom is obviously the Sing Pirates. Everybody knows that. Um, it's, it's, it's almost, you, for me, for such a long time, I almost felt like, like the Phantom and the Sing Pirates were like Batman and the Joker. You know, it's yeah, uh, it's it's just the natural um, antagonist. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what I want to show you here is the Phantom Wiki page. Phantom Wiki is a an awesome resource. We know this. Um, the Phantom Wiki page for the Sing Brotherhood, and it is full of information about the Sing Pirates um, because we know that it's um, a massive massive chunk of Phantom history. And Lee Fork must have absolutely loved this character or this set of characters until you get down here and you find out that Lee Fork in the daily and the Sunday stories across his 60-something years of story writing used the Singh Brotherhood in the very first story. They had a bit of a partial reference in, in another story, The Belt, where we find out that the Phantoms, the 20th Phantom died because the Singh Pirate stabbed him in the back. But that wasn't a story about the 20th Phantom or the Sing Pirates. It was sort of a, oh, here's what happened aside yeah. as part of a different story. Um, and then one more time when he mentioned them as in a story called Buried Treasure, this is obviously near near the end because it's drawn by Olsen and Williams, um, as the Sang Pirates. So he owned, Lee Fork only used the Sing Brotherhood in three stories at best, one where they were the actual antagonist, one where they were sort of referenced, and one where he got the name completely wrong. <laughs> and I love how you, like, you go through this page and, like, like if you scroll through again, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. Yeah. Like, you know, like, Team Phantom have, like, literally got a sing pirate leader for all 21 phantoms. Yeah, according to Team Phantom. Yeah, well, because that's it. If I just scroll down a little bit further, because I'm just showing yeah. you the daily insight. Here's the Team Phantom stories, including the sing pirates. It's it's page after page after. They don't number them, but there must be, oh, 80, 100? Oh, I, yeah, I reckon at least 100. Yeah. Even, even three do the sing pirates. That's just what Lee Falk did. That's exactly right. Fru have got three, and they've only been doing their own stories for about the last three or four years. It's fair, <laughs> <compare>, but <laughs> it's um, it, yeah. This is another one that I like as well, and 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 I'm I'm like you, like you know, like growing up, it was always the Phantom, 
Unsing Pirates, Batman, Joker, you know. And, and I wonder if that's because, and I, you may be loathe to admit this, but I wonder just how, um, how influenced we are by what we read with the Team Phantom End stories. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe, because you're right. There is a lot of um, Sing Brotherhood stories. We, we just saw that. Um, yeah. A lot of brother, Sing Brotherhood stories from Team Phantom. And I, I actually put it down to I thought it was probably, A, we saw a lot of reprints. I did in, as I was yeah. growing up. So the Sing Brotherhood might have only been one story, but it came around pretty regularly. Um, and also... Um, Before those who came in late. For, the, for, the, for those who came in late pages, particularly in the Sundays, we actually saw the swearing of the oath and um, the Sing pirates killing the first yeah. Phantom's father a number of times. So whether that helped it sink in. Well, in the through comics in the, I would say, 600s, 700s, 800s, maybe even 900s, I don't have any... Uh, you open the comic, at first you've... on. Pretty much every single page, you've got Reckon. before those who came in late. So you've yep. got, you know, the and it was the Cyberry uh, version, and then uh, sometimes the rainbow. You know, you got the Phantom crossed arms yep. above it and all that. So I wonder if that's partially why it's 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 been ingrained. So you, uh, it's probably a bit of that. You've got the, the same story being published a few times. And every single comic, or at least every second comic, there's a four yeah. those who came in late. I think that's a pretty got, powerful influence. And then you've got all the Team Phantom Men stories as well. That um, yeah, and and Team Phantom Men created some great stories about the Sing Pirates. So, and and they were always larger than life type of mm. characters. Like you know, like I remember the one about the um big Zeppelin, and all. So they go there, and then they go in this big underwater cavern, um you know, type of thing. And then the Phantom blows that up and he has to try and, you know, shoot up and, and you know, he, and it's it's obviously taking a lot from the first story as well. But the Sin Pirates were such, I don't want to use the word glamorous, but they were a glamorous, outgoing, flamboyant type of bad guys. And then you had mm. Diagai Singh, who was the despicable one. And then even when I was reading a story recently, uh, the Golden Rune one, you had, the the leader then was a was a princess and she was you know not showing much clothes and she was very attractive but also very deadly and and so again it's kind of like a female version a much better looking female version than say Diagon <laughs> Singh but um you know like you know kind of like that and so they were that glamorous villain yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, it's um, the Team Fundament certainly, um, we talk about gaps that Lee Fork left and the way you can tap into them. The Team Fundament absolutely nailed the vein there where they, um, where they created a generation of Sing uh, family members and pirates that, you know, continue to current day with, with Sandal Singh and, and Nadir. Um, and um, <laughs> so they, uh, they, they, they've, really, they've really done well there, you've got to admit. Um, to to really explore and flesh out what are some pretty cool villains that Lee Fork created right from the get go, and for whatever reason, but but he's got form, doesn't he? Um, Lee Fork he created a lot of cool villains, and then only used them once and walked away. Yeah, so I think um, General Babubu was probably the most is probably the most. I think we talked about this in our last comics and news podcast. Yeah, we that about the, the Eastern Dark. So you got Eastern Dark yes. was used more. 
General yeah. Barbuba was used more. And then you've got, if you don't mind me saying it, cooler villains, which I would personally see more, like the Vultures, Hydra, yeah. and even the Scorpia is yeah. another one as well. And then we've yeah, all, seen... All really good organisations um, that, that, you know, the fandom could really sink his teeth into over, over multiple generations and multiple stories, for sure. But, but Lee Falk only used each of those, the Vultures, the Hydra, and Scorpia, only the once. Yeah, uh, even the uh, the the, the Skyban he used. Yeah, he used more. He used that twice, but that's more than those others. It, like I know, and I know we do. Um, you know, wish that Lee Fork had kept a, a family tree and that sort of thing. Um, and it would have been cool if he'd used some of these villains multiple times. But it just goes to show the the creativity of the man in the sense that you're going, oh, well, I've, I've created a really cool villain. That's it. I'm never going to use those again. I'm going to come up with another really cool villain. So, it, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, the one thing that I do like is it's, yeah, is like, uh, was it last year or the year before we had the year of the vulture? So we had like about four or five stories of the vultures. Yeah. Shane Foley's done, is expanded on the Scorpia um, legacy. Yeah. I know Team Phantom have also done a couple of Scorpia stories as well. Um, the Hydra, I believe, has been done by Team Phantom a couple of times as well. Um, I've always found it interesting on who created Hydra first. Was it, uh, the Marvel creators, or was it Lee Fork? And unfortunately, it was Marvel that created it first. Okay. Yeah. Well, we still have the first uh, skin <laughs> superhero. <laughs> we also had the first swimmer as a superhero as well. Yeah, as it turns out. <laughs> All right. So while we're talking about um, the costume of the Phantom there, we're going to go over it. Now, this one is probably well known to most people. Mm. Um, uh, so again, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see what we are sharing. Again, we are using uh, deepwoods.org uh, as a reference of this. Um, now, basically, as we saw with that, the Brazil comic and also the Italian comic, the Phantom back in the early days was a whole myriad of different colours. The Italian comic had uh, yellow pants, green striped trunks, and a red top. Um, I think Australia had uh, like a, a, a lime, a lime green, um, and I kind of looked like a, you know what it reminds me of. It looks reminds me of the um, is it the cricket team that had the the lime green um, uh, outfit in the eighties or the nineties? Remember us being canary yellow for a little while. The Irish teams always looks a yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah it was, so it was Women's Weekly again, wasn't it? That for for whatever reason had the Phantom as green on one of the one or two of the early covers. So if we just kind of go, yeah, through, if we just kind of go through. You've got the Women's Mirror, which was May nineteen thirty eight. There's a lime green. Now, to be honest, that lime green goes brilliant against the red background. So I wonder mm. if that's probably got more to do with it. In Ace Comics. Uh, in the first time he was appeared in basically a comic in America it was February 1938. Uh, he was brown, which kind of makes sense. Um, and then in T Italy, which we talked about, you had the red top and cow, green briefs, orange tights, and yellow gloves. Now it's a real assorted rainbow <laughs> color there. 
You're going to see him dropping out of the trees. <laughs> yeah. Is that a toucan? No, it's, a, it's the phantom. <laughs> a bowl of Fruit Loops dropping on your head. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, in the USA, in uh, which is interesting that USA actually had uh, brown and red before they actually had purple. Um, so in the, one of the first big little book, which I don't know why they call it a big, because it's a little book, um, which are probably about so big. I thought I had one nearby. No, I don't. It, there's um, a lot of pages, even if they're not. Yeah. So they're, they're little in the, yeah, the cover, the cover size, but quite thick. Yeah. So anyway, it was red. Now, we all know that there are certain people that love a grey costume. <laughs> Glenn Lumsden. Um, so howdy, Glenn. And, uh, and we know he loves grey because he puts it on the giant size and all that. However, is should the Phantom be grey? Now, let's have a look at... These are all references um, on... We've got these references from the Deepwoods website. So on the 7th of May, 1936, it says, no one sees a grey-clad arm reach for a parachute. Uh, Fisher of Pearls... That's less, less than three months. That's less than three months after the start of the comic. Yes. Less than two, uh, two years after, uh, you got the bad guys um, saying, he was a tall fellow, all in grey, sort of queer costume. So, you know, there's that. Uh, going now into the 40s, and this is all before he was coloured purple. Mm. In the Seahorse in 12th of April, 1940, this bad guy goes, maybe I'm batty, sir, but when we were falling, I could have swore I saw something grey slimmering up that rope. Mermaids of Merlot Straits in 1945, grey suit, mask. What was his racket, I wonder? The, Devil's, the Devil Road in 1948. The tunnel guard has a split-second glimpse of the grey figure. Then, wham! And then... The Matchmaker, 1953, moving silently, unseen like a grey ghost. Now, I wonder, this is not actually on our run sheet, but I wonder if this is where we got the theory about the grey ghost being the name of the Phantom was because of this panel. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. Like, um, what, what stands out to me then is that Lee Falk clearly had in his mind that the Phantom was in grey. And he mentioned it for the first time, as I said, there, you know, inside the first three months of the comic strip. And the last one you've mentioned there was from 1953. So that's 17 years after the start of the comic strip. So for the first at least 17 years, Lee Fork had in his head when he was writing that the Phantom was grey. Now, it wasn't until 1936, the heavyweight champion, which is a personal, one of my personal favourite stories, mm. that the Phantom's costume was directly described in the text as anything other than grey. And that was, you can see here, if you're on YouTube, you've got the announcer. Just before he's about to say, let's get ready to rumble, he says, in this corner wearing uh, purple tights, weighing 200 pounds, the challenger. Uh, unknown Walker. So you've kind of got there in 1956. So that's what 20 years after, yeah, after it was created. Lee Fork finally gives up the losing battle and goes, "Well, yeah. I guess he's purple." Yeah. Now, 
there are plenty of theories around how did purple come about. Now, the printing era always seemed like a tall story. However, when I was about 18, 19, or was I about 20? I don't know, around then, I had the opportunity to do some uh, a short stint actually in a newspaper. Uh, so, And then I was involved in the graphic design and then I had a little bit to do with that. I didn't actually do the printing, but I actually got to see printing involved. And one of the first things that they actually told me uh, was about how grey, if you don't use the right tones, it can actually turn out purple. Now, for someone who had always believed that that was not the case, when you hear that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, I was actually listening to what they're saying. I'm just thinking grey, purple, printing, phantom. Now, that's just where my mind went. And I'm sure <laughs> every other person that got taught that, that's where their mind went as well. So it was like, oh, wow. And then what was interesting is when I went, when I went to uni, which was a couple of years later as well, we also learned about printing in, in our graphic design courses. And again, if you don't use the right tones, it can come out differently. And basically the number one rule we got taught because computer graphic design was coming into it is if you're ever doing anything for print, never send something to the printers until you print it out first. Even if it's just on your home little computer, because what gets printed out will always be different than what you see on the screen. Mm, mm. So maybe, just maybe, the story about a printing mistake is actually, there is actually some truth behind that. Fair enough. It, 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 what, it's interesting because this is something that I think most fandom fans know. Like if you're, if you're a fandom fan enough to have listened to halfway through episode 213 of X the fandom <laughs> podcast, um, you probably do already know that, um, you know, the, the fandom was intended to be gray originally, but um but even I've had a little bit of a, a surprise there to think that it's been 17 or 20 years. It was 20 years after the Lee Fork started writing the fandom before he acknowledged in the strip that the colour was purple. And up until, you know, only a couple of years before that, he was openly calling him grey. And that's a, that's a huge chunk of time um, for, for Lee Fork to be <laughs> labouring under the, mis the misimpression that uh, the fandom was actually grey. He was, <laughs> he'd been purple for ages. <laughs> from oh, I can't remember when the first Sunday came out. It was, but it was was it 1939 or or, mm. or something like that. So 39, yeah. yeah. So from 1939 to 1956, that's what 15, 17 years. Yeah, it took for Lee Fort to start including that he was actually purple. Yeah, he fought the good fight for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. Now Maybe the KFS checks fine and convince him otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, so do you like cards on the table? Do you prefer grey or do you prefer purple or another purple. colour? No, purple. You, you actually prefer purple? Yeah, I do. I do, and and I'm um, I like purple enough that I even convince myself that it's actually not a bad camouflage camouflage colour. 
uh, particularly if it's a darker Ever purple. Darker purple, yeah. Yeah, a darker purple, not your bright, vi you know, violet or, or um, hibiscus purple, but a, but a dark purple, I think, would actually work well in the shadows and amongst tree leaves and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I actually think it would be a decent jungle camouflage as well. So Yeah. Uh, now, the purple from the Marvel series that Glenn Lumsden and Dave DeVeres did, that was a purple that I liked. It was still purple. But it was like that dark purple that, you know, meant that he could kind of go in the in the shadows. And and mm. that's the phantom. The phantom is a shadow. And, and it's hard to be in the it's hard to be in the shadows when you've got, you know, bright purple. Well so, or lime green. Um, or red, for that matter. I can, and that's where I can't see red or even blue. Like, those don't really make sense to me as jungle camouflage colours, whereas the purple I can see more. Because, like, as I was about to say, even the Billy Zane costume, and I know we none of us, well, I certainly didn't like the, the skull motif that they actually had on the costume. It really needed to be just the plain purple for mine. Um, but it was a nice dark purple that I think worked for the character. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we'll move on to number seven. Right, right, right. Now, this one is this is one that is close to my heart because, um, in the same way that Germ really enjoyed, hence, hence um, why you put it in there. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an under it's an underutilized part of fandom history, um, and I like this in the same way that you really enjoyed talking to your cousin Jeff Parker a few podcasts ago, uh, <laughs> because um, I, I, an underutilized or underrecognized fact, in my opinion is that the first ever colonial township mentioned in The Phantom was actually Frasertown, um, which is described as a settlement on the outskirts of The Phantom's jungle. Now, Frasertown only actually appeared in two Lee Fork stories, which I guess makes it as important as the Sing Pirates um, in that no, sense. That was, that was three. <laughs> <laughs> he got the name wrong in the third one and and i'll argue that fraser town was mentioned uh was named in two but used in three lee fork stories because it appeared in uh, the first time we heard it um named was in the third um daily story war in the jungle which a lot of people might know as the diamond hunters as well um they followed up with references to fraser town again in daily four the fourth daily story little toma um, and they also, at that point, identified it as being in Bengal. Um, those are the only two stories to actually name Fraser Town. Um, and and for people who, who don't know, people um, who, who might not remember, um, Smiley is the infamous character from War in the Jungle because he's uh, often used as um, evidence that the Phantom does kill um, because that was the, the first time that we saw the Phantom kill somebody very much in self-defence if you go back and read the story, but uh, there it is nonetheless. Um, and the first time that uh, Fraser Town is mentioned is actually on 8th of June, 1937. So um, about a, a bit over a year into the, into the strip um, when the Phantom has captured uh, Smiley's partner, Hill, and tells him that he's going to turn him over to the military court at Fraser Town. Um, I really like, and I, and I don't have the, the strip up to, to show the YouTube uh, watches, unfortunately, but the strip from the 11th of September um, in 1937 actually has Diana leaving the Skull Cove because um, she and the Phantom have come to loggerheads about whether they should be married or not because he doesn't want her to live in a cave and she won't accept him moving into the city because the jungle needs him. Um, so typical, typical lover's tiff there. She decides that um, it's best if they don't see each other again and so she gets uh, Garan to 
lend her a canoe and she jumps in a stream just near the uh, Phantom's country, the skull throne there, um, and paddles directly down that stream to um, the, the, the sea where Fraser Town is on the, on the coast as well. So um, it's directly connected to the Skull Cave, but unfortunately by Daily 9, so in Daily 8 they mention a settlement. It may or may not be Fraser Town, they don't name it. But in Daily 9, uh, Morristown is used as the name of the township closest to Phantom's country. And, and Morristown, it stayed until it became Mowitan, um, about 20 or 30 years later. Mm. Now, I find I always find these things interesting. And, you, you know, you, those who listen to the podcast and, and, and Dan, you would know as well. I like to fit these things so they actually make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all do. I think that, that's one of the great things about being a Phantom fan and the, the dynasty hero set in a real-life world. You, you do you naturally try to make it fit in. So how do we make this, how do we make Fraser Town fit into the Phantom's country? Or can we, or do we just do it as a little quirk and just go for it? I think there's two different ways that you have Fraser Town fit into Phantom Country, that it is, um, and one that I've probably... Um, in my own self-conscious, I suppose, have, have done for a while is assume that Fraser Town then became Morristown and then became Mowatan. That's probably one that, um, you know, just a series of renamings. Um, but I guess it's also possible that Fraser Town and Morristown were two different townships in, in different bays um, as well. But, uh, but obviously with Fraser Town never having been mentioned again by anybody, well, obviously there's a lot going on there. So, so I, I'm not sure... About where I'm not sure about Queensland. I know you just build houses on stilts and <laughs> stuff stilts. like that. But um, over here in WA, um, when you're having so towns like, for instance, I come from a town called Geraldton. Yep, that was originally called Gerald's Town. You got yes. Bustleton, which was Bustle's Town, and, and and stuff like that. So that's how I see Morris Town named is that it was named after someone Morris called Morris. Yeah. Now we do know and merging um uh merging universes a bit. We do know that the Phantom came to Morabar, which then became Morristown, which you assume is when the English took over. Mm-hmm. Um so Morabar was there when the first Phantom was uh, in the first place, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So they stopped yep. in Moribar, looked for a pilot. That pilot was Chugger. He betrayed him. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. So we... Third town, perhaps. So, so there's that way. Now, there's, there's actually a town up uh, just south of where I live called Dongra. Now, the reason I make mention of that is because Dongra is actually two towns that have merged together and become one town. It is Dongra, but also Port Denison. So Port Denison was the the port, and then you've got Dongra, which was, and like literally, you can walk. There's no difference. Between, they just grew together. They've just grown together. So yeah. Port Denison would have been the settlement. One settlement, the settlement literally probably two, three k's away is Dongra. As it's grown up, Port Denison is still technically, but it's not 
Port Denison. It's just a suburb of Dongra. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fraser sense. Town could be a suburb of, of Mawitan is what you're saying. Yeah. Now, there's just a couple of options if I was to try and merge them together is Fraser Town could be part of it. And you see it in Perth as well. You've got Fremantle. It's called oh, it's all, it happens all over Fremantle. Albury Wodonga yeah. is um, two... Yeah. Two sides of a, of a single township on the opposite side of the river sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how that's one way. That probably makes the most sense is that they were two settlements. Um, like Frasertown might have been like the like where all the military were kind of mm. based. Um, and, you know, Moritan or Morristown or Morabar, however you want to do it, is kind of... Um, uh, was where the people lived and the port was and, and stuff like that. And then it just kind of merged and overtook Fraser mm. Town. So mm. if I had to make things kind of fit, and I know that's a very long-winded tr- way of trying to do it, but I wanted to kind of give some examples and, and stuff like that. That's how I would do it. I'll probably do it that they were two separate settlements and then they've kind of merged together as one. Mm. Yeah, well, I just wanted it included on this list because I feel like it's my own little personal place in uh, in fandom history. Fair <laughs> enough. But remember, your phrase was for PH, so. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> going on to number eight. So we're almost there. Um, now, we're going to be talking, if I was to ask you, Dan, to list mm. the top three most prolific phantom riders... Who would they be? Well, Lee Falk, obviously. Clayce Romanthe, I know, would be in the conversation. He's probably number two. And then, I mean, Tony DePaul's been riding for over 20 years in the dailies and um, Tim Fundman before that. So he'd probably be who I'd go to for number three. Yeah. So that's what I reckon most people would do. Maybe um, other ones could be uh, Norman Walker or, you know, kind of like, Something like that, but what's so actually other prolific team Farnerman? Olf Granberg, did yeah, he Olf Granberg, you know, so that's where most people will probably go for their third one, Tony DePaul or, or one of those. I was, but, I'd lump on Tony. Yeah, but did you know that that is not actually correct? The third. I had most, a hunch because you raised it. Yeah, <laughs> the third <laughs> most created rider is someone that most fans have never ever heard of, and interestingly. Most fans have probably never even read his stories. And that guy is called Peter Minigan. Now, most people are probably going, Peter who? So now, again, if you uh, actually read what we write on our website, you might, not, might be aware of who Peter is. But Peter Minigan, and I'm going to, again, be sharing this as we flick through on, uh, on the screen. So if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If you are just on audio, we will have the, all the links to everything we've talked about and all the examples in our show notes as well. So Peter Menigan was basically the, uh, the, the creator for the German or the Bastille stories. Now, they created uh, over 250 stories in the 70s and the early 1980s. So they were pumping them out very, very quickly. Now, What's actually interesting is that only one of his stories has been uh, translated into in, uh, into English, and about I think it's about three or four of the stories have been translated 
um, into uh, Swedish and, and published in the Phantom End comic as well. Did so, the one, did the English one was that in like the Fru's eight decades eight stories? Yes, yes that was. That was that one, that one in red. Uh, yeah, the one in yeah, red. Right. So, as you know, um, Lee Fort wrote 350 Phantom stories, or give or take a few. Close for Murphy didn't quite get up to 300. I was really hoping he would get to 300. I think he finished at like 298 or something. Oh, well. And then Peter Menegan did 250. Yeah, right. So, it's, um, yeah. Now, if you're on YouTube, you're about to see it. Uh, he did a whole... You know, here's an article with him and stuff like that. Now, you've probably heard us talk about uh, Bastard Comics and there's the new German series coming out. What's actually interesting is there was six stories, I think it was, that was created that had been finished but never actually saw publication. Now, I believe around the middle of the year, so Australia's winter, Europe and Northern Hemisphere's summer, Germany will, uh, week publications will be publish, uh, releasing a new series, which will be publishing the unpublished stories, but also some other stories from that as well. They will be in Germany, in German, um, but most, uh, well, a lot of Phantom collectors probably didn't get regular Bastille comics. They're only picking up the odd back issue now, but it gives a chance for uh, more people to learn about Peter Menningham. So, um, yeah, it's, oh, I just think that's really fascinating that someone who's the third most prolific credited phantom writer, most fans don't know two bobs about. It's, it's an interesting one because it's, oh, you know, it's a little bit like the, the Buddhist riddle. If a, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to see, hear it, did it really make a sound? Like, if there's no one reading his stories, did he, are they, is he really the third most credited um, author, of course he is, and and it would be fascinating to read more of his stories because um, you would think that to have that many published, he must be good at it. Um, and um, I'd love to read more um, of of someone who's a, who's a clearly that that you know elbow deep in the law. Uh, it would be yeah. fascinating to to see more of his stuff. So just going on that, the Bastille kind of created their own law. So there was no twenty one phantoms; it was only sixteen phantoms. Right. Um, and so they... Well, think, that's the end of that. <laughs> if you think <laughs> Phantom Men changed the law to suit them, uh, wait until you see what uh, Bastille did. Um, yeah, right then. But they are really, really loved. Uh, there's a... Um, uh, so, you know, Bastille was a huge, prolific uh, publisher of comics in the 70s and the 80s. Um uh, there's the new series coming out based on the Bastille stories. There's a new book that's coming out, which draws heavily on the influence of the Bastille comics as well. So, um, yeah, there was, you know, there, it's not something just to be kind of kicked off all your weird uncle that you don't, that you only talk about at uh, Christmas and birthdays. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, now, I was wondering, because I know number 10 you want to dig on this one because this is one that you found. So yeah. I'm going to go number nine. Now, most fans, if you ask them, what is the longest continuous running Phantom Comics series? No, I reckon 
eight out of ten people would say free comics. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's been published continuously since 1948. We're, we're um, 19, 12, 19, 13 issues. Like we're getting towards yeah. 2,000 issues, been published nonstop for over, um, what is it, 70 years, 60 years now. So, yeah. yeah. Phantom yeah. Men did it from 1950. So, yep. you know, that's, that's the next closest Phantom Men stopped. Yep. You know, Sparta and all that. But did you know that there is actually a comic series that's actually been running continuous stories longer than free? I do now. <laughs> and that <laughs> is uh, the free, no, no, sorry, uh, the Swedish Christmas album. Now, obviously, it's got nowhere as high as issues as um, free because they only do one a year. But these are the covers here. I'm just going to quickly flick through a couple of the covers. Um, so from 1944. So four years before Fru. Four years before Fru, uh, Semic have uh, been producing these covers, which, whoops, no, it's not that one, um, have been produced. I think that one there, this was the first one here. So that was 1944. 1944. Christmas album. Yeah, right. This is 1947 and 1945. So, yeah. So it's interesting to, to see, to know that there is actually a longer Phantom comic series than throughout. So for it to be a continuous comic series, they've produced a comic, what, for Christmas? It's a Christmas album. Christmas so album. One, Every, one year. Year. Um, Every year. Every year. Since 1944. Yeah, there you go. And well, as you say, it's not it's not anywhere near as many issues, but it's certainly yeah. a longer uh, a longer chronological record. Mm. Mm. It's just one of those unique phantom random facts that uh, phantom nerds like us and like you that are listening to this uh, will find interesting. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy that one. And number ten, Dan, you want to take us yeah, off? Yeah, and this is one I threw on last night. I was I was reading some other stuff for some other stuff, and um, just uh, came across. I was I was going through my uh, Hermes Press Phantom number one, the the complete dailies. It's a second reprint, so um, you know whatever. Um, but the point being that uh, I was I was really I was enjoying reading through it. And um, for the first time, I actually read the the essay that was at the back by Ed Rhodes. Um, he he writes a bit of an essay there, and he referenced the fact Ed Rhodes. You know, people who, if you don't know who Ed Rhodes was, he's a highly respected uh, American Phantom fan. Um, we talked about uh, John Henderson and the uh, the Phantom Fan Club earlier in the piece. Um, he was um, one of the two behind Friends of the Phantom with Pete Klaus. He met Eddie, met and made friends with. Uh, pretty much everyone in the Phantom universe at the time, Lee Fork and uh, Cy Barry, um, through the late 1990s, highly respected, massive Phantom scholar, um, uh, consultant on the movie. Um, he narrated the A&E biography. Uh, what am I missing? Like, there's a... He also was the consultant for Moonstone as well. Yeah, so so huge Phantom buff and uh, absolutely to be trusted. So I've got no, no uh, reason to doubt... Uh, his claim in, in that essay that Lee Falk was actually inspired by a real-life tribe when he invented the, um, when he invented the banda, the pygmy poison people, um, which, which um, I found interesting because 
it, it sounds like it's a, it's a bit fantastical. These pygmy pygmy tribe of um, Africans who have poison arrows, one scratch means death, and all the rest of it. Um, but to hear that he had actually um, based that on a real life tribe, I was like, well, that's that's fascinating to me. So I did a little bit of research. So now I'm just going to share my screen and we have a look at here. And according to Ed Rhodes, it was the Achuri, the people of the Achuri forest that um, inspired Lee Fork. And um, I had a bit of a read through this and um, it's interesting that, you know, the Achuri forest, um, which is about where Kenya is now, is my understanding, um, collected four different um, populations of pygmies, da 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 You scroll through here. And um, there's a little video here that I'm going to that I'm going to press play and share with everybody. There's narration to it, so you'll be able to listen to it on the podcast as well. But for YouTube watchers, you'll be able to to see it with us. This is a uh, a video from 1939, um, so exactly the era where Lee Falk was creating a lot of his um, um, you know phantom world. Um, so it's a video from 1939 that shows how this the F.A. pygmies, which is uh, one of the groups that live in the Ituri forest, um, process vines to extract um, poison for their arrows. So I'll just play it now. The F.A. pygmies obtain poison for their hunting arrows from the Horota vine. First, they strip the outer bark. Then heat the inner bark where the poison is contained in the fire. After tapping the vine to loosen the inner bark, the pygmies peel this layer away from the vine's core. They then crush the inner bark to obtain a juice containing lethal poison, which quickly causes nausea and complete paralysis. The poison can be extracted safely this way because to take effect, it must first enter the bloodstream. When tipped with poison, these small arrows need only pierce the skin to become deadly. So there you go, a little clip from 1939, which is exactly the sort of thing that might have appeared in the uh, in the cinemas at the at the flicks. Um, to you know, there's a bit of um, world history or whatever it might be. So um, so there you go. I th- I just thought that that was really interesting that. Um, the the tribe there and and it's all based on something that could be real yeah and like obviously it was different like it was we found out later it was berries and berries were only grown in certain locations and all that but the fact that it was like you know and if you know um anything about poison and and stuff like which i hope not everyone does but um you know there is that extraction way of doing it um i know there's a uh, there's a bean or something that if you eat the bean without the shell being cracked it can pass harmfully and you won't get you won't die but if the shell is cracked and you eat it you will die and Mm. and 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 stuff like that so there's all you know there's all that type stuff like what was it rhubarb i think the stalk's Mm. not poisonous and the leaf is and so you know Mm -hmm. like there's all that type of stuff as well so but like just watching that, you could, you, yeah, you're right. You could picture Lee Fork and or Ray Moore, and you know, obviously, there's you know the dual creators. Of course, you, you you could picture them talking about it, saying, "Oh, I watched this video," or "I watched this at the flicks," and and and, and just building from that. And, yeah, and, I, I thought it was really yeah. cool because um, we we know that so this is this is part of why the Phantom works for us, um, and we've already referenced it tonight about how he's a real life 
character who sort of fits into the real the real world that we actually exist in. And so for um, the tribes that he's uh, hanging out with in the jungle to to be as realistic and true to life as that. Um, yeah, just that it's an extra cool little element for me. So, you know, I'm certainly going to be reading up on the Ituri peoples as much as I can just to, um, you know, find a little bit more about that. Definitely. All right. So that's 10 random cool phantom facts with a PH um, that we have brought to you. Now, there's plenty of others that I'm sure we've missed. And I'm sure there's going to be some that are probably might not completely agree with some of the facts that we've presented to you or didn't like the way that we uh, pronounced certain words. So uh, <laughs> feel free to hit us up on, uh, if you're listening to us on YouTube, on the, um, on the uh, what do you call it, in the comments section, if you're on uh, social media, or of course we are on uh, our email, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Our website, is chroniclechamber.com you can find everything we do all our reviews all our podcasts all the latest news uh links to our social media as well everything we post up on the on the website goes up on social media or you can uh subscribe and then you will get an email notification every time we uh go live with a new um article as well which is a pretty cool way of finding out about it. Now, again, which we touched upon at the start of the podcast, uh, the sources that we use during this podcast is deepwoods.org, amazing website. Go check it out if you haven't. Phantomwiki.org, again, another amazing website if you haven't uh, checked it out. Uh, Chroniclechamber.com. Now, we don't really need to know. We don't really need to tell you how awesome that website is, but we will. Awesome website. Go check it out. Um, uh, and then, of course, there's certain fans as well. So there's uh, Ankit uh, Mitra, Swarup Chand, Ivan Pedersen, Mikel Lick, and, of course, Ed Rhodes, which we talked about just then as well. So, again, uh, make sure you listen to us, subscribe to us, uh, follow us, rate us. Um, we will be having a um, – uh, we've got a couple of giveaways that we need to get rid of as well, so we'll probably have mm. a couple of prizes. So make sure you subscribe to us on uh, YouTube, Spotify, Podbeam, Podbeam, Player FM. Probably should mention too the Patreon. Um, I referenced the, the P3 earlier. We both did actually for various things, um, and a lot of what we found for, for tonight was – uh, files and um, videos, the, the A&E biographies in there, all of the Phantom Club stuff's in there as well. So if you're keen to access uh, and re- have a read through those Jungle Beat newsletters and all that sort of stuff, um, you can hit us up on Patreon and get access to the, the Phantom Preservation Project there as well. Yes, and the link on that is on our website. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope uh, you, you found something cool. Now, um, again, give us feedback. If you want us to do another one of these in six months' time or something as well, please let us know. Um, until next time, for myself, happy fantasy. Happy fantasy, guys. Hope you learned something today. Injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this man cannot die the ghost who walks enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom 